we're thankful to have you share your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ. And sorry to embarrass you right now, because I know that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's open up our Bibles to uh, the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 3, plodding along. My hope was to finish out the chapter this, uh, this morning, but when I got into the text and all that was there, we're only going to make it halfway. So uh, we're going to go through 21 through 26, and then next Sunday we'll, we'll make it through the rest of verse 31. But if you would, have your Bibles and uh, follow along with me. If you don't have your Bibles, follow along on the screen. Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth is a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Last weekend, we witnessed one of the worst hurricanes to hit the shore of U.S. soil. And you've likely seen the, the pictures and the videos of the devastation. You, you've likely heard the reports that between 40 and 50 inches of rain fell on the Houston area over uh, the weekend, just uh, last week. The flooding uh, has destroyed over 100,000 homes, leaving 30,000 people uh, stranded or uh, displaced from their homes of shelter. It's easily the, the worst disaster that has taken place in Texas history with a death toll of upwards to 50 people. And economic losses estimated between 81 to $160 billion dollars. I even uh, saw a report that only 15% of residents have flood insurance. This weekend, uh, a friend of mine posted a video. He's the pastor at Bridgepoint uh, Bible Church in Houston. Uh, he's actually been there under 90 days, uh, just took this church. And, uh, and, and their church this morning is flooded. Um, he took a video walking through the parking lot with water waist high, and he opens up the front lobby doors, and you see couches and chairs just floating. Everything is destroyed. They had a, uh, the, their, their church has a, a gym, and, and that's where they, they worship, and the, the floors were wooden, and it looked like a, a whale carcass because the wood was just bowed up so much. And so he was just standing up, and there's just water, and their seats Interestingly, I guess they're hooked together. We're floating all in order, though. Um, it, was, it, was, it was kind of interesting. Well, catastrophes like these remind us in very uh, stark ways that things are not right in the world, are they? Everything that we have can be washed away in a matter of hours. Houston is the fourth largest city in the U.S., 
And next to New York City, it has the most Fortune 500 companies in all of the U.S. It has the largest shipping port in the U.S. It has, get this, the largest concentration of healthcare and research institutes in the nation. It's also the home of NASA's Mission Control Center. And so without exaggeration, you could, you could make the case that Houston represents the apex of human achievement. That Houston is a, a marvelous city that, that shows all that humanity can do. And yet the best of humanity could not stand in the day of the storm. Jesus says that a storm is coming. And only those who have built their life upon the rock will be able to stand on that day. And thus far through our journey of the book of Romans, we have seen that no one on their own can stand on that coming day of judgment. That we are all under the curse of sin. And we have all chosen to dishonor God and, and have chosen not to give thanks to Him or to honor Him as God, but rather we have chosen to, to either worship ourselves or give our worship to other things. And so from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, which is we've spent the bulk of our time, Paul has been reiterating to us that none of us will be able to stand on that day. And that none of us will have an excuse to be able to say, I did not know, or I thought I was good enough. See, since the fall of humanity, all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, God's law, God's revelation revealed through the creation, or even through the Old Testament, has shown that we are sinners this revelation of, of God's character, God's righteousness, God's holiness in the Old Testament has not actually provided hope for humanity, as we saw last week. Rather, look at chapter 3, verse 20 of Romans. That last sentence or phrase, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, in previous era, in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, under the sacrificial system that, that, that was referenced to as Pastor Joshua was reading from Hebrews, all that revelation did was show that God is holy and we do not match up. Those sacrifices, what were they? They were a daily reminder of sin. For if that revelation was able to perfect us, then it would have only need to be received once. In other words, God's righteous standard was revealed to humanity to show that we are all imprisoned under sin and unable to escape condemnation. Therefore, the revelation of God's righteousness has spelt judgment for us. When we come to verse 21, Paul says, but now things have changed. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. God's revelation has come in a new means, in a new manner. And he's referring here specifically to the appearing of Jesus Christ. God's righteousness has now been offered to us 
through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that we may be forgiven of our sins, that we may be redeemed from the curse of sin through faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, I want us to rest in the gospel. Are you weary? I look some of you. Yeah, you're weary. Are you tired? Are you laden with guilt? Are you, are you bearing burdens upon you? Brothers and sisters, I want us to find rest. I want us to hear good news because now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It has been given to us, and it is the power of God unto salvation. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 16 and, and 17, this is the good news that Paul says, I am not ashamed of, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And look in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. See, through creation, through the Old Testament law, God's righteousness was revealed, but it was his judging righteousness. It was that there is a God who is holy, who is the creator, who is all-powerful, and he's almighty. Yes, he's loving and kind, and he will, he will clear the guilty, but he will, he will not overlook sins. So how, how are these two truths to, to be held in balance? There's a mystery in the Old Testament. Because all the revelation that was given at that point just said, we don't measure up. And the law says, all must die. But the good news that's now been revealed in Jesus Christ declares that God has graciously provided the righteousness that he demands. He's, he's gifted us with something. He's provided forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ alone. And so, brothers and sisters, it is this good news that you and I must trust, continue to trust in, continue to rely on. But I also want to press us that this is the good news that we are to declare to a world that is trapped under the grip and the power and the burden of sin. As sinners, we need God's righteousness. We cannot provide a righteousness of our own. Our righteousness, as the prophet says, is like filthy rags. It doesn't amount to much. It cannot gain forgiveness of sins. But here's the good news. Out of his great abundance of mercy, God has gifted righteousness to us. God has provided righteousness to us. And how has he done this? Well, first of all, he's given us his righteousness by his grace alone. Come to the text here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Brothers and sisters, this is God's grace to us. Because the law, as we have seen, it, it, we cannot rely on it. We cannot rely on God's commands as means to earn righteousness. You, you can't do it. The more you try to obey, the more you realize actually you're more sinful than you realize. It works against you. And Paul's going to say later in chapter 7, talking about the law, well, is the, is the law the problem? Is, is the law sinful? He says, no, the, the law is holy and good. But he says sin has hijacked the law 
and it works in us to, to break it. The problem's with us and sin that bears us down. And so if you try to go about obedience as the means by which you'll be made right with God, you'll actually find yourself working against your goal. See, the law says in Leviticus 18.5, Therefore, or you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules, and if a person does them, he shall live by them. That's what the law says. If you're going to be justified by the law, this is all the way back in Moses, you must live by them. Well, the problem is none of us live by them. Oh, maybe at times we do, and even that's imperfect. Do you live by the law? Because Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them. Cursed is everyone who does not obey the law. Now, you might have a superficial understanding of your obedience, but the truth is is that, that Paul has been beating us upside the head saying, You don't measure up. And so the verdict that is standing against humanity is condemnation. But here's where the grace comes. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, which brings condemnation. God's grace, God's righteousness is being revealed at the coming of His Savior, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on and, and, he, and he says that we must... Be indebtors to his grace, because the end of verse 22, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. There's no distinction. No one is exempt. And that's just a summary of what we've been seeing from chapter 118 all the way through 320. No one is exempt. We have all fallen short. We've all sinned. And just as all have sinned, therefore, Verse 24, all are justified by his grace. There it is. As what? What does it say? As a gift. As a gift. Brothers and sisters, God has demanded righteousness of us, but here's his grace that is offered. He meets what his demands are. He demands perfect obedience. He demands a righteousness that you and I can't possibly conjure up in ourselves we're born in the red and it's an infinite red there's no way of working your way back up and he says i have provided you with what you need i have provided you with righteousness and and he, and he uses this word in verse 24 that we are justified brothers and sisters that's a that's a key theological word that we need to make sure we're familiar with as believers justification you might hear uh, the mantra justification by by faith alone we're going to see that here but we are justified by his grace as a gift now do you earn your gifts as a child on on, on christmas do, do, hopefully your parents didn't do this you didn't earn enough favor so you didn't get any gifts i mean that's kind of what the the you know santa claus story is all about right yeah be good and then you can get them but, well that's not that's not really how it works. Parents love their children and they give them gifts. And what's the, the great response that the parent wants? Thank you. Thank you. I love you. It's not, all right, now I expect all these things. 
or next year, you know, if you're good enough, you'll get better and better things. That, that's not how it is. A gift is given from another. And in this case, this is unmerited grace. This is unmerited favor. God is the initiator. Because we are the ones trapped. We are the ones who are unlovable. We are the ones who are rebelling. We are the ones who do not seek him. And yet God seeks us out and he says, you need righteousness and I have it for you. This righteousness is described as justification. We are justified, he says. That's just the verbal form of righteousness. We don't have, it's all one word really in Greek, but we're not in Greek, so we're English. So I'm just telling you, righteous, to be righteous or to be made righteous is to be justified. Well, what does that mean? Justification, it's a legal term. It's a legal term used by, by a judge by which he, he or she would declare an individual innocent from the charges brought against them. Well, in this case, God declares sinners as righteous. What does that mean? He declares your sins are forgiven. He declares, I am not going to count your sins against you. That's good news. Because here's what the law says. You're guilty. But God steps in and he says, by my grace, you cannot meet the demands. I have met them for you. And therefore, I declare that you are innocent. That's what it means when he says that he has justified us by his grace as a gift. Paul puts it this way when he preaches the gospel to those in Antioch. This comes from Acts chapter 13. Just listen. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that's Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything to which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What is the gospel? You can be freed. And what's interesting is that same word, freed, is the same word he uses in Romans 3, justified. Forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you to everyone who believes is justified from everything which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You're a sinner. You're condemned. The law says you must die. The wrath of God abides on you. There is no escape, but when we proclaim Jesus, we are saying there is a way of escape. There's justification. There's freedom from sin. Your sins, which are many, which are innumerable, God says, I will remember them no more. That's the good news. Therefore, at the heart of justification is the forgiveness of sin. The sinner is declared in the right. Same thing happens um, in, in, in chapter 2, verse 25, when Paul says to the Jew, he says, you who are circumcised, if you do not obey the law, will not your circumcision be rendered uncircumcision? It's actually the opposite. You who do not trust Jesus, even though you, you think you keep the law, you think you're righteous, you're going to find that your verdict is the exact opposite of what you're expecting. You'll be found uncircumcised, which was code word, a sinner. 
But then he says, but the Gentile, code word sinner, who, who hasn't been circumcised, who hasn't, in a superficial sense, obeyed the law, but he loves, he's filled the law, he loves God, and he loves neighbor because the Spirit of God has worked in him. He says, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision, verse 26. What's he talking about? He's talking about justification. This one who has the Spirit of God in him, it'll be regarded as him as if he were a sinner, not uh, not a sinner, as if he were righteous. That's what the gospel says. That's what the good news says. And this glorious news that though I have lived in rebellion to God's righteous standard, he will declare me innocent by his grace alone. Now you you might be asking, how can that be? I shared a couple of weeks ago about a professor of mine who when he heard the gospel like that, he says, that's not acceptable. Because what that says is that I can live a, a, a life of sin But, oh, I trust Jesus, and therefore it's just all wiped away. No, justice must be paid. It was a superficial and inaccurate understanding of the gospel. But the question still stands, how how can this be? How can God, as the judge, knowing that the law says is true of us, it's like a mirror, we look into it, and it exposes everything of who we are. And it says, verdict, death. But God says that I've revealed my righteousness through Jesus Christ and those who are in Christ, verdict, innocent. How is he able to do that? Well, this is provided, this righteousness is provided in Christ alone. And what I want us to see is that this gift of righteousness is not God turning a blind eye to sin, but it's a gift provided in Christ. Look look in verse 24 again. And are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. So he's kind of working backwards. He says, Here's the declaration for sinners if you're in Christ, you'll be declared innocent. How is that possible? Because Christ has redeemed you. Because through his blood, Christ has redeemed you. Redemption means to be purchased out of slavery. That's what that means. We don't really talk about it like that. We, we think of redemption more like a coupon. I'm going to redeem the coupon. And in some sense, you're getting a gift based on something. Someone is, is comping that expense for you, and it's, it's represented on that, that piece of paper. Well, in the ancient world, speaking of slavery, it's a little bit different than what we think of slavery here in, in our, uh, our history of, as a nation. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, slaves could actually buy their freedom back. They could, they could work, they could earn their way, and if they could accumulate enough money, now the system could be rigged against them, but in theory they could earn enough money, they could actually buy their redemption. They could buy their freedom. Well, the picture that would have been coming across to to many of these these Roman believers is that 
oh yeah, we were in slavery. And this should be the connection. We're, we were slaves. But the price, according to Romans 6.23, is death. The wages of sin is death. That was the price, if you, in, in theory, to be redeemed. Well, well death is the punishment. That's, that's the only way to be redeemed? It was under the law. But here the picture is, is that we have been redeemed from slavery by Christ. That our debt of sin was paid. That we were purchased. Uh, as Paul says elsewhere, we were bought with a price. We were ransomed back to God. All those illustrations should be coming in our mind because we were sold under sin. We were slaves of sin. And God's gift of righteousness is, is, is free. But, but please understand, brothers and sisters, it is still costly. Yes, it was freely given to us, but it cost God cost Christ his life. I'm reminded of the story of Hosea. Maybe you remember that story in Bible school, or if you're not familiar with this story, Hosea was a prophet of the Lord in the Old Testament. And Hosea, and often for the prophets, not just him, they were, they were to do things that embodied or illustrated the, the message that God wanted to communicate. And so Hosea was told by the Lord, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go marry a prostitute. And Hosea, she's not going to be faithful to you. That's what he tells him to do. And what happens? He marries Gomer. She's unfaithful. And then a few chapters later, she's gone back. She's now in basically a slave system. She's on the market. And God tells Hosea, I want you to go buy her back again. What's he telling Hosea? I want you to reckon her sins as not. I want you to buy her back even though she has been unfaithful to you. And I want you to regard her as not a prostitute. And in that prophetic message, Hosea was to tell Israel, the people of God, God has, has saved you. He is your, your, your bride, your groom. And you, like Hosea and Gomer, you have, you have gone astray. But I will buy you back. I will absorb the cost. And this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so you, you kind of, if you can put the analogy together... You and I aren't Hosea. You and I are Gomer. That's what the scripture says. That's why Paul has gone to great lengths to convince us, and hopefully he has, that we're Gomer. But he, Jesus, is Hosea. Or better yet, Hosea pointed to Jesus. And that's why you see, look in 21. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. There was just one example. The whole sacrificial system bore witness to what God would do. You need a sacrifice. Blood must be spilt. And the reoccurring sacrifices were to remind you of this need, but not that you would trust in this, but that you would look to the one to come. 
I've sent you Hosea the prophet who would be who would show my kindness and my grace and what it would be like. I will forget your sins. I will not reckon you as guilty. I won't reckon you as a prostitute who's been unfaithful. I will regard you as faithful. But the mystery was, how is God going to do this? He's going to do this through Jesus. Jesus was going to offer himself up as the sacrifice to purchase us, to take the penalty of the law upon himself so that all who are in him would not have to bear that, that penalty. This world is trapped in sin, brothers and sisters. You and I were trapped in sin if you know Christ. You've been redeemed from that. This world is burdened with guilt and ravaged by the curse, and, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come here today and, and you are feeling the weight of your brokenness. Maybe you don't call it sin like the Bible does, but, but you feel the weight of your brokenness. You feel the burden. You, you feel the guilt in knowing I'm accountable to my Creator, and I know I'm not right. Maybe you, you feel it because of, of, of sinful choices you've made, or maybe your life is just falling apart, and it seems like every avenue by which you try to put it back together just seems to make it worse. Maybe you're coming here today, your family's falling apart. And you have no idea what to do, where to go. And you might be thinking, this is hopeless. Maybe that's the burden that you carry. But what we see here is that God has made redemption available. Brothers and sisters, this is the message that we are to carry to those in southern Indiana. I'm often asked, Chase, what's your vision for the church? I don't really like that type of question. But if I had to, it's, it's this. The message of redemption would get out. And in particular, if you wanted to, to maybe hone it in just a, a little bit more, is that I... I believe in God's providence that he has placed Oak Park Baptist Church, at least in this building, in this facility, where we gather at 1111 Allison Lane in Jeffersonville, Indiana, at, at, at zip code 47130, in a little community called Oak Park. And I don't know if you've opened up your eyes a little bit, but there is much brokenness around us. Much brokenness. Some of you grew up in this community, and, and you've seen it change over the years. If you've been paying attention, if you, if you just look at what's going on in, in some of the homes around us, or if you just drive up and down Allison and Holman Lane, you can just see the brokenness walking down the street. Families which are devastated by sin. You, if you took the time to, to talk to people in the apartment complex right next door, or some of these homes right around here, you, you would learn that they're devastated by sexual immorality, violence, greed, drugs, abuse. And some of that is things they've done, and some of that's things that's done to them. And there is a, a brokenness, a, a cloud 
is we've seen the power of sin reigning right outside these doors. And so what's the heart of your pastors for Oak Park? That we would realize God has placed us here to reach these people. I'll just be a, a little transparent. This sitting in the notes. I might get in trouble, Sarah, sorry. Um, it always makes her nervous when I get away from the notes. What we do on Sunday morning, the worship, the prayers, the, the preaching, most of the guests that we get Come, and I'll say, How, how'd you find us? Well, I looked you up on the website. I, I saw what you're about and said, yep, that's where we're going to go. That's great. We move to the area, and, 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 and we get people that way. And I praise God for that. But you know who's coming? Christians are coming, right? People who already believe, and not just any particular Christians, Christians who are, are at least got some level of maturity, by and large, that they, they looked at the website, they knew, go to the church website, look at what they believe, see what they're about. Oh, I like that, and I come. And, and so there's a, a, way, a sense in which what, if we just keep doing what we're doing, and as the population increases, we're probably going to just keep adding people like ourselves. And that's okay. That's good. But it's not evangelism. We're not actually reaching people. We're just transferring memberships from another church. And that's part of it, teaching them all that Jesus had commanded, discipling. But the purpose that we have here, which is the purpose that God has given to his church, is to preach the gospel to those who are trapped in sin. And brothers and sisters, if you don't come on Wednesday night, I invite you to come on Wednesday night. Walk around the halls, peek in the gym, look in the classrooms, because there are people you don't see here on Sunday morning who are there on Wednesday night. And it's the neighborhood. You know who's sitting out in that lobby? It's moms and grandmothers. And you can see oftentimes the wear and the burden that is upon them. When school's out, Terry Brody's not here today, but that buzzer starts buzzing about 2.30 or 3. Why? Because kids are getting out of school and they want to come here. Why? Because it's safe. Because they know the love that they have here. And so long-term vision, well, what is the need around us? Preach the gospel to these children. And some of them, their parents are here. We preach the gospel. We love them. And, and we have good news for them. There's redemption. There's one who has purchased you, has bought you, who has broken the shackles of sin that has so entangled you. And we are a little life preserver bobbing out here in the flood of sin. Come on in. This is what we're doing in student ministry. This is what's going on in ESL, which is getting to start. Daniel Rodriguez and his team just met for the first time last Wednesday, a, a planning meeting. And, and what is that ministry going to do? It's going to let us reach people who don't speak English. We might reach them with the gospel. And I was talking with uh, Rhonda Wilkinson, who's a, a missionary for NAM in our area, and what does she do? She tries to get churches to start up ESL. She's helped us. And she told me last Monday night, she said, I am so excited, finally, someone in your area has ESL who will preach the gospel. I've met an Iranian family who's, who's uh, this, this woman and her husband are Muslim. I'm, I'm, I'm going to connect them with you. 
There are Hispanic families who are trapped in Catholicism and the ritualism. I'm going to send them to you. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be people of other tribes, tongues, and nations, Lord willing, coming to our church so that we may share the gospel with them and and learn English so that they they can participate. This Sunday, we're sending a team into the Clark County Jail. We've been doing that now for several months. Toby Jenkins, who's the, Baptist, who's the pastor at First Baptist Henryville, he's the chaplain there. That's one of their main outreaches for their church. And when he told me about what's going on and how they're sharing the gospel in the jail, he says, brother, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Most of these people live in your neighborhood. And he goes, if you guys aren't going to do it, who is? If Oak Park Baptist Church won't share the gospel with them, well, who is? And that was his compliment in saying, I know you're a faithful church. By God's grace, we've gotten it connected there, and maybe God will give us fruit. Where we are starting to see fruit is what we've been praying on Wednesday night, and you will see kids of not only different skin color, different ethnicities, but where it will cost us and will rub us, and is already rubbing some of you, is the economic differences. And the fact that many of these kids are coming from homes that are absolutely broken. And they come here and you think, oh my word, they are bouncing off the walls. This is the worst thing ever. They're going to infect us. They're going to they're do something. They're, they're going to break more doors, kicking them through. You know, that stuff happens. Not the infection side, but we... <laughs> Brothers, this is what we do. We bring the message of redemption. That message isn't for those who've got it all together. That is for those who are trapped and they are broken and they are hurting and they have no hope. None. Absolutely none. And you can just see it oftentimes. And if we won't reach them with the gospel right across the street, who will? Who will? This is the good news. I had time I'd talk about Southern Indiana Rescue Mission and Choices. We're partnering with them. Brothers and sisters, these are all reaching the same types of people, broken people. Meet their needs, give them the gospel, plug them into a local church. And my, my hope for us is that we would look right across the street, right around us. And by God's grace, he's doing that. There's my tangent. Okay. How's this redemption made available? Verse 25. It comes through Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Another big word we need to know. Propitiation. My kids were like, a propipi what? (laughs) We were reading it last night. Propitiation. How is it that redemption has come? Well, this is the price. This is the purchase. This is the sacrifice. Propitiation simply means satisfaction. It means that God has satisfied His wrath. In the Old Testament, this same word is used to speak of the mercy seat in the Old Testament temple. This is where the the blood of bulls and goats was spilt upon the mercy seat. And the blood would spill and it would cover the sins of the people. 
Well, Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one. And on the cross, Christ was crucified, and he was the spotless Lamb of God, sacrificed on our behalf. On the cross, Jesus Christ drank the full cup of God's wrath and fury. That's why he says and he prays in the garden as he's wrestling in his humanity and his deity. And he says, Lord, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. See, on the cross, through propitiation, God's satisfaction of his wrath, the once and for all sacrifice, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life so that he could treat you and me as if we had lived his life. That's the gift. You cannot save yourself. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But this one born of a virgin who is not infected by the sin of Adam, one who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, who walked in perfect obedience to the law, who fulfilled the demands of the law, he was the only one who could take your place, and he did. So that your life might be hidden in his. That's why it always talks about in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ, belonging to Christ. If you don't belong to Christ, there is no propitiation. You're still under the law, and the condemnation is your verdict. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There it is, the gift, the great exchange. He takes our sin, we take his righteousness. And so it is in this way that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. God has not been unjust either in turning a blind eye to sin. He's, he's not, in a sense, just gone around his law. No, by using Christ as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his for, divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. Two things I want you to see here. God, Christ's death on the cross has provided relief for the world in two ways. Number one, through Christ's redemption, his propitiation on the cross, this act of Christ kept God from exacting full punishment of sin upon the world. Do you see that in verse 25? This was to show God's righteousness. What was? Putting forward Christ as a sacrifice. Because in his divine forbearance, his patience, his steadfastness, he passed over foreign, former sins. See, the law was not able to take away sin. The sacrificial system was not able to take away sin. What about even the nations who were not under the law? God passed over sins. Notice it does not say he, he 
he forgave sins. He passed over them. He did not exact his punishment upon them at that time. He showed patience and endurance. That's why people who do not know Christ are able to stand right now. There is a sense in which Christ's death on the cross has provided um, a, a buffer for the world from beginning of history till, the, till Jesus comes back. God is not exacting punishment right now at the full extent. That doesn't mean that people aren't judged for their sins. They die apart from Christ. They, they're judged. But this is how people could live. And so in a sense, in the Old Testament, it's looking forward to the cross. God knows his divine plan. He is holding back his wrath because he knows it will be satisfied in the cross. At least in this provisionally sense. But then there's another aspect. At the present time, this is now former times, now present time, verse 26. The cross enables God to uphold his holy character while at the same time be gracious to forgive the sinner. This is where the transaction comes from. So Christ's death on the cross has universal benefits, but it also has particular benefits for those who believe. Salvation, and that's what he says at the end of verse 26, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is good news. But it's only for those who trust and have faith in Christ. This isn't universalism. Christ's death, yes, is the sin of the world was placed upon him, and there's a sense in which the whole world benefits from it. But only those who believe have that sacrifice credited to their account and their sins actually forgiven. So you look through this passage and you see that faith is the requirement. How, how does this gift, how do we receive this gift? Through faith alone. Through faith alone. Look in verse 22. The righteousness of God through what? Through faith. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forth at a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? Faith. Verse 26. So that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith. Faith simply means trust, brothers and sisters. Sometimes when the world hears faith, they think superstition. I have faith we can do it. I have faith we're going to win the game. I have faith things are just going to work out. That's not what he's talking about here. This is a certainty. This is a trust. The picture is of putting on a, 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 a parachute as you're jumping out of a plane. You could say, well, I have faith in it will work, but how do you know that you truly have faith in it will work? You pull the string, right? You receive it, and you hold on for dear life. This isn't a faith that says, oh, I think it will work, but I won't put it on. That leads to death. No, this is a genuine trust. I trust the sacrifice of Christ on my behalf. I trust that I need this gift given to me, and therefore I put him on. I trust him. I turn from my sins. And so what does this look like? It's trusting, first of all, what God has said is true. What God has said is true. What, what he has said about me, I am a sinner and I am under condemnation. But I also trust 
what is true about Christ, that he is the Redeemer and he is the Lord who has purchased me. Faith is expressed through swearing allegiance to his Lordship. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In just a few verses earlier, it's the one who believes in his heart or confesses with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead. What do you confess with your mouth? That he is Lord, that he is master. I, I've sworn new allegiance. I was a slave of sin. Now I'm a slave to Christ. You see the difference? I'm now under his lordship and his rule. Faith is denying our sinful selves and giving our lives to loving and worshiping Jesus. And through faith, Christ's sacrifice is applied to our life. That's what he's saying here. So thinking again about the flooding in Houston, maybe you've um, seen some of the videos or news reports of people going into Houston. There's a one video I saw of, of the, the interstate highway where it says Houston this way, and there are truck after truck after truck pulling behind them a bass, bass boat. Now, they're not going fishing. They're going to rescue people. What a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? The world trapped in sin, flooded and devastated. And Christ came to rescue sinners who have nothing to offer themselves. And you and I were those people trapped under the floodwaters and he came and rescued us. And now we must do likewise, right? I will make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. And this is why Paul could say all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16, he's kind of just had one big detour. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous, they don't live by the law, they live by. Do you believe, brothers and sisters? I hope you do. Let's pray and let's sing. Dear Lord, this is good news that you have not left us to ourselves. And left to ourselves, we would be like the man that Jesus said who built his life upon the sand. And when the wind came and the, and the waters came, his house was washed away. But the one whose life is built upon the rock, who's able to stand in that day, is the one whose life has been hidden in Christ. The solid rock of Christ I stand, all other ground is sifting sand. Lord, may we, may Oak Park be a beacon of light, be a lighthouse standing on the rock. And that we may be outside telling people, come in, it's safe in here. There's redemption. There's, there's forgiveness of sins. There's one who's taking your place. Do you trust us? Come in and receive and taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we pray that that message would get out through us to those in southern Indiana and particularly here in Jeffersonville. 
Lord, as we now close in song, may we sing the words of the gospel back to you in worship, in gratitude, and thanksgiving. And all God's people said, Amen. If you would, let's stand.